standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to Sunday Chops. This week, Hannah and I spent some time with author and journalist Caitlin Davis, whose brilliant book, Bad Girls, A History of Rebels and Renegades, is a timely study on incarceration, charting the 164-year history of Britain's most infamous women's prison, Holloway. Now then, we thought that narratively it would be great to record our interview with Caitlin at the Echoes of Holloway Prison Exhibition, currently running at Islington Museum. And don't get me wrong, it is a cracking little exhibition running until October the 6th and well worth your time. However, we were faced with a chap that can only honestly be described as a right Jobsworth jebend. And despite us getting permission to record there, he proceeded to slam doors and generally make sure we knew he wanted us out by 5pm. So... I can only apologise for those door slams and the hoovering and the fact that we're eventually turfed out and have to continue our chat with the brilliant Caitlin in the street in London, a city well known for not having any background noise ever. Nevertheless, we persisted. Tiny bit of admin, please have a look at our Sarah's website for details of our forthcoming gigs because I've got to come clean with you, the autumn lineups are banging. You can find us at sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. As ever, if you've not already subscribed, please subscribe. And if you can spare two minutes to rate and review us on iTunes, it is super helpful. So please and thank you. And we do really like the number five. Thanks very much. Also, say hey. We love it when you have a chat with us. Tweet us at Standard Issue UK or individually at Mixter Noonan. That's me. Hi there. At That Dunleavy, which is Hannah. And at Inspiragen, which is, well, Jen. But now to the echoey echoes of Holloway Prison Exhibition with the awesome Caitlin Davis. Hello, Mickey here. I'm at the Echoes of Holloway Exhibition at Islington Museum with Hannah. Hello. And Caitlin Davis, author of Bad Girls, A History of Rebels and Renegades, an absolutely cracking chronicle of Europe's most infamous prison for women. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Holloway's interesting, isn't it? It is. I mean, look around the room in this exhibition and you've got... Well, right now I'm looking at a video of uh, a prison officer from Holloway talking about his experiences with Holloway. Up there you've got a painting, someone's son of the garden. Over there you've got one of the things I think that's one of the most upsetting things. It's a letter by an eight-year-old girl, Eva Holmes, who was jailed in Holloway in 1940, along with her mother and her little brother. This was when almost 4,000 Jewish refugees, mainly German and and Austrian, were locked up in Holloway. You know, it's a part of Holloway's history that... It hasn't really been talked about, and in that glass case there, there's a letter from uh, Eva and her brother Albert. They were uh, incarcerated in Holloway with their mum, and then the next day they were removed from her and sent to a children's home, and she didn't know where they'd gone. And then a letter's there from Eva to her mum saying, basically, you know, I'm fine, everything's okay, when will we see you again? And then the next letter, you know, we're fine, when will we see you again? Oh, really God. heartbreaking reading that. Holloway Prison has actually been quite a central building in your life, oddly, hasn't it? It is somewhere that I suppose I've been a bit obsessed with because, and now we're looking at the video of it, because the, the old Holloway, the original uh, Holloway Prison was this medieval, mock medieval castle in Islington in North London. But it wasn't really hidden away from sight like a lot of prisons are. It was right on you know, Camden Road, uh, Parkhurst Road. And so as a child, as a sort of six, seven-year-old, I remember stopping on the pavement and probably I was with my mum or something and looking up at this incredible building and thinking, well, it looks like a castle. You know, it looks like there should be Rapunzel at a window letting down a hair and there should be a moat and a drawbridge and whatever. But of course I knew it was a prison and it was a prison only for women. So, you know, as a kid, you think, 
well, what what bad things have those women done that they've ended up in? Obviously, obviously, I was a child, so I believed that they had done bad things. And if women are brought up, obviously, you know, to be good and and, and law abiding and and all the rest of it. So here was a, this castle full of so called bad women. Was that, it used as a threat? It, um, to as a little. I think there's a lot of women who grew up in the area who will remember as a child somebody saying to them, "If you're bad or if you're not good." you'll end up in Holloway Prison. And then I did my teacher training work placement there in the, the late 1980s, and by then Holloway had been completely knocked down, the old castle, and, and built as this, because women were then officially mad, not bad. And so the castle, the terror to evildoers, had been pulled down, and what was supposed to be a hospital had been put in its place. There was a sort of a good idea behind it, but it took something like 12 years for it to happen, and life had moved on. And it it was a disaster, really. You spent that time as a trainee teacher. Is that where you decided that you wanted to write Bad Girls? Is that where the seed of the book came from? That was a long time. That was like 30 years ago, so that wasn't where it began. And then I I was offered a job at Holloway, but I'd also just got a job in Botswana as as a teacher. And so I moved there. And I was there for about 12 years working as a journalist and and got arrested and put on trial a couple of times. That, I think, was probably the point where it's like, wow, that's that's really close now. It's one thing going in yeah. and, and teaching and, you know, being the sort of privileged person that can just go, oh, how interesting is prison? Let me go in there and see what it's like. And it's obviously a very different thing to then be arrested for something you haven't done and, and you're put on trial and you know that you're facing two years. And it terrified me. You know, I didn't want to show that it did because... You know, obviously, imprisoning journalists, the point is to intimidate you, so you've got to act like it doesn't bother you. But I just, yeah, the idea of prison, the very simple thing of being locked up and having no control, that, I thought, was was terrifying. And then I came back to England and ended up living just around the corner from Holloway Prison. So I was always sort of, always conscious of it, but I would just, like, be on the 1991 bus and you sort of look out the window. And Holloway's very discreet then. It looked like a massive gym with no doors or windows. You couldn't really see what it was that you were going past. And then I heard that they'd found some archives in the prison. I thought, God, I'd really like to get my hands on those. But unfortunately... Minister of Justice said no. So I was banging my head against the brick wall for quite a long time trying to get access in there. And I gave up a couple of times because I thought, if I can't get back into the prison, how can I do this book? And then the, the news, November 2015, when the government announced Victorian prisons are no longer fit for purpose, we're going to close Victorian prisons, and we're starting today with Holloway. And I was listening to that, and I thought, but Holloway's not a Victorian prison. It's completely rebuilt 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Why are you closing it down? Well, obviously, why they're closing it down, that's a 10-acre site mm. of prime real estate. You know, so And the second reason the government gave was to treat women more humanely. But nobody's explained what that is or what's going to be put in its place. That leads quite neatly onto quite a big question. Do you think prison works for women? Well, I'm sorry, but I would answer that with another question, which is, what's the point? What's the point of prison? You know, what, what is the point? You know, I mean, prison originally, in England at least, was, was to hold people before trial, and then prison was for punishment, 
you know, you were sent to prison as punishment and you were definitely punished while you were in prison. And then, you know, through the years with different politics, different governments, different, you know, that you've had ideas of rehabilitation, ideas of your fitting people to sort of go back into the world and, and be a useful member of society or, you know, so it's, no one's ever really, there's never really been an agreement on what is the point of prison. So so what was your question? Was it, does prison work? Yeah, do you think it works? So, <clears throat> so does prison work? Uh, I don't know. If, it, if it's... If the point of prison is to basically destroy people's lives, it works. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. particularly with, with women, particularly with women, because women, vast, vast, vast majority, haven't committed violent crimes. They're, they're no threat to anyone. They're losing their children. Families are being torn apart. Children are growing up in care because a woman's, what, stolen a milk bottle off a doorstep. It's as ridiculous as that. Hasn't paid her TV licence, you know. Or, and then you've got the so-called troublesome women. You've got the suffragettes. You've got the women of Greenham Common. You've got freedom fighters from all sorts of different places and backgrounds. And so Holloway is used to shut women up you know, to remove them and to stop them speaking out. So in some ways prison didn't work in that case. With the suffragettes, I suppose, it didn't work because the suffragettes shouted about it. You yeah. know, they made it very clear what was going on in prison and they brought the conditions of prison to the wider public. Uh, Green and Common Women as well. It was, you know, partly thanks to them that we learned what was going on in Holloway in the 80s. And it was, uh, you know, several times in Holloway's history, it was a hellhole. You know, suffragette time, World War Two, 1980s. Those were really well. I suppose that's time. We were talking about this earlier. You know, that great Dostoevsky quote about how you know to someone's written it up on the notice oh, have board. How, you know, in yeah. order to gauge the degree of civilization in a society, yeah. go into a prison. Yeah. I mean, that's what Holloway has been really. For and also, can you get into the prison? You can't get in. I mean, you know, as a member of the media or whatever, you cannot get access to a prison. Whereas when Holloway opened in the 1850s, they couldn't wait to bring the journalists in. Come yeah. and see our middle model prison. Come and have a look around. Chat to some of the prisoners. You know, you know, see the punishment cell. Go into the room where they're making mail, but you know, whatever. And again, since about the eighties, nineties, it's just you can't get in there. I mean, it took me a year and a half to get into Holloway. So that's what I was saying earlier. So when I heard the announcement that it was closing down, that's when I thought I've got to do the book because if I don't do the book now, it will be gone. Yeah. And that's what this exhibition about, is about as well, is, is recording, you know, recording the most famous prison for women. A lot of people don't, don't even know that it has closed down, that it doesn't exist anymore. Just to touch on the fact that Bad Girls covers a lot of Holloway characters, and you mentioned yourself, there were the, the suffragettes, the freedom fighters, the green and common women, but also royalty and spies. Emmeline Pankhurst was in there herself, wasn't she? Myra Hindley, Ruth Ellis... Big names in women's crime. Yes. Um, well, that, yeah, I mean, and, and writing a book covering 164 years in, in the history of Holloway Prison, you've got to cover people like Myra Hindley because that's what people expect, because that's the name that they know. But the media, and of course we're talking about traditionally completely male-run, have always focused on the very few violently criminal women. And so the image of Holloway became this idea that it was full of these violent women who were, you know, really dangerous to each other and, and dangerous to wider society. So while I wanted to 
mention people like Myra Hindi. I decided to talk about her in terms of security because she tried to escape in the 1970s. So to try and talk about because what I wanted to focus on is the vast, vast, vast majority of women who we don't know. Yeah. You know, because the press hasn't followed them and taken photographs as they're huddling in the in the van on the way to prison or, you know, taking photographs or they haven't paid other prisoners to tell them stories or whatever. But prison is for the working class. It was to charge people with if you were homeless then they would charge you with vacancy. If you were unemployed, etc. and then you got locked up in Holloway and you were set to work. So it was always a place to just sort of like, you know I've forgotten the question now. <laughs> Carried away from what you were saying. Oh, you're just famous. Like, oh, yeah. yeah so, so they're all, you know, during 164 years, all, all these thousands and thousands and thousands of women whose stories haven't been told because they didn't go out and write a book about it. They didn't come out and get interviewed by a BBC or, you know, whatever it was. So it's that hunt for stories of finding people who were in prison. And also the staff is a big thing because we know nothing about prison officers because they're not allowed to talk about their job. Right. And that and that's sort of always been the case. So when I found, um, I was given a, a diary, a woman who worked in Holloway as a wardress at that time, they been called that, uh, in the 1870s, that was brilliant because you really got an idea because the women who worked in Holloway as, as officers, they mainly came from a domestic service background. So status-wise, they were pretty low down yeah. in a system where the women prisoners were at the bottom and then the women officers you know, sort of slightly above them. What was the thing that you learned while researching and writing Bad Girls that was most surprising to you? One of the things was, was the Jewish refugees and the parallels with what, what's going on today yeah. in terms of treatment and attitude of, of refugees. I didn't know that 3,600 women had been locked up in Holloway en route to the internment camp at the Isle of Man. There's only, as far as I can see, a handful of books has ever been written about that, uh, and only two of them have ever been published in English. So that was that was a big thing to sort of do, to discover that and to speak to people that had been in prison. And then you know it can be a really miserable thing writing about the history of a women's prison. And so from the, the other side of that was someone like Zoe Progel, the great escape artist in 1960. You need some light relief. You know you need a woman who climbs up a, a coal heap and and. and gets on the top of the wall and splits her prison issue bloomers and manages <laughs> to jump down the other side where her friends are sitting in a pink racing car with leopard skin seats watching and then she goes on the run for four months you know so that was uh, I, I did love that story yeah I, I loved finding women who sort of relished in their criminality you know who weren't violent who hadn't who hadn't physically hurt or exploited anyone in any way and who hadn't really been coerced into committing those crimes because we don't usually get that for women you know there are women who are criminals and they enjoy it and they're highly skilled at it and that's my next book actually I was going to say I don't think you're done with the bad girls yeah. no I'm not to... because then I'm also writing a novel that I'm halfway through now which is going to be the greatest prison escape story ever because every film and every book that you can think of uh, about prison escapes whether it's the Count of Monte Cristo or Colditz or uh, Papillon or any of these things there's not a single woman not a single woman and so I, I, I'm setting it in the 1960s where a whole bunch of women plot the greatest prison escape you've ever heard of <laughs>
When you were going through the different stories and the characters that you clearly sort of half fell in love with, a few mm-hmm. of them, were there any that didn't make it into the book? Because you were covering oh, such so a many. huge section of history. So many, you know, and that's the thing, is because I didn't want to write this sort of dry academic book. I wanted you, I wanted people to sort of turn the pages and, and to find it, you know, really well-researched and, and accurate as possible, but also like a, a really good read. And the first draft that I wrote, I started writing it just after my mum had died, and I think I threw myself into it even more than normal. And when I stopped after about eight or nine months and counted up the pages, I'd actually exceeded the set length three times. Oh, I'd nice. written over a quarter million words oh, instead of it should have been 80,000. <laughs> so, yeah, there's whole, whole stories, whole... I wouldn't say missed out but I had to cut yeah and I would wake up at night two in the morning thinking I really don't want to lose that one and can I find a way to put that one back in but you know I'm not writing it for me I suppose you're trying to write a book where people don't perhaps notice how much you've taken out and it just looks like one thing you know fits into the the other the thing is as well you're writing something that's about making prisoners you are you are making people realize that they are human beings and i think that's part of the problem we tend to look at prisoners as statistics mm. and they're not are they mm. they are all individual stories of how people ended up in prison yeah. obviously not just the crime they committed but mm. what happened in their life up until that point that yeah. meant that's what happened to them yes yeah. and and also how prison is a refuge you know, I mean, you were asking earlier something like, what, what did I learn or what surprised me? I did know that. I did know that because through some work that you know other friends had done with people being charged and arrested in prison or whatever, I knew that for some people, you know, prison's a place of safety. But that came up a lot over the 164 years. Mm-hmm. That's the case for women, you know. And what does that say about our society if women find prison a safer, healthier place than their life on the outside. And then what do you do when you close it down? Yeah. You know, where, where have you taken that? So the women have been moved out of London, and a lot of women at Holloway were, were Londoners, and now, you know, Holloway was in, in many ways working as, 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 well as, it, as well as it could. They had things like Homework Club, where children could go after school and do homework with their mums, aunts, uh, grandmothers, etc., now they've got a three-hour round trip, maybe once a month, mm. once every few months, to get to, to Downview Prison to even see their mum. Yeah. There's a huge difference in attitude towards the same crimes when they're committed by men or when they're committed mm. by women. And that comes across so beautifully in the book. Thank I mean, you. it's not a beautiful thing, but mm. you, you do chart that really well. It doesn't seem to show any signs of changing, does it? No, and, and again, what's going, to be, what's going to be in Holloway's place? You know, women are judged differently. I mean, these are all sort of obvious statements, but they really get you when you're looking at the history of a prison, you know, because you're looking at women, someone like, you know, uh, Edith Thompson, who did not commit a crime. You know, her crime was, you know, so-called lack of, of morals. It was the 1920s, she was married, she was having an affair... And when her boyfriend killed her husband without her knowledge or involvement, the fact that she could be held guilty, you know, held responsible for that, and not just found guilty and and jailed, but hanged, executed, 
you know, executed. And it just shows you how women are. And, and again, the press all the way through. You know, you look at newspaper coverage from the 1870s to the present day. Physical description of women. You know, is she smiling? She's guilty. Is she showing no emotion? She's guilty. Is she crying? She's lying. She's guilty. Mm. You know, I mean, women are getting judged right the way through the process. And what about racism as well? You know, if, for example, you're a black woman, you're so many more times likely to be arrested in the first place, then you're much less likely to be given bail, and you're much more likely to be put inside. You know, so it's, yeah. Then there's Holloway, but looking at the screen, and, you know, and, 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 and Mandy, who's saying how much... It saved her life that Holloway was a parent, a concrete parent for her. Really? Yep. Wow. I guess, like, that isn't something that I'd ever think of because you're taught that prison isn't a place you want to be. Right. It's a threat, isn't it? Yeah. It's a threat. You don't want to go to prison. Obviously you don't. And it's shameful to go to prison, you know. And yet something like one in four of the UK population have a criminal record. So, you know, it's not as unlikely as you... Well, it's people in my family have been to prison not my generation yeah previous generation and i don't know what for really so there are i mean in all families so how did you find that out uh when we were researching a family tree um so no did people know in the family and they deliberately hadn't told no 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 nobody knew it was like my grand my one of my my great granddad spent time in prison in london and nobody knows what for my guess is he was in the navy and he changed his name after he came out of prison my guess, or oh, he changed his name at some point. My guess is he went AWOL right. and he was in prison for that. But, but nobody you see, knows. Yeah, and, and one of the other reasons I, I got started with Hollow because I wrote a novel about the first two women who were executed there in 1903. They were the baby farmers, the baby weren't farmers, they? Yeah. yeah, and while I was researching that, I was actually giving a talk at the Islington History Society and this woman emailed me going, Oh, how much do you know about the baby farmers? Because I'm sort of interested in them as well. What she didn't tell me is that one of them was her relative. And that is where we were hustled out of Islington Museum. But I'm sure Caitlin won't mind me finishing that story as taken from Bad Girls. Over a century later, and the sense of scandal surrounding the case of the Edwardian baby farmers remains. Panina Asher only discovered she was related to Amelia Sack after she posted a family tree online and realised that Amelia's younger sister Eunice was her own great-grandmother. Eunice never told a soul about what happened to her sister at Holloway, even changing her first name and her father's name and occupation when she married three years after the execution. It was a huge story at the time, says Penner. It was even reported in Australia, and my great-grandmother obviously felt a great deal of shame. Eunice didn't revert to her real name until 1930, 14 years after her husband died. I don't think he ever knew about her sister. Amelia's husband Geoffrey took his mother's maiden name after the execution and sent their daughter to be brought up in Southend-on-Sea in Essex. When Pennina first found out about Amelia Sack, she was hoping she was innocent. Then she went to view her forebear's criminal file at the National Archives in Kew, including the photographs taken on arrest. I couldn't even look at Annie Walters. She frightened me. She looks like Hans Christian Andersen, which I wouldn't want to meet her in a dark alley, let alone hand her a baby, and yet that's what Amelia did. She was calculating and manipulative and greedy. While Penninger believes the trial was unfairly heard, if these women murdered babies for profit, they deserved to swing for it. Although it happened over a 100 years ago, the nature of the crime means that Penninger's discovery is still taboo. One of her relatives, who was in his 70s, advised her to keep the discovery to herself. I can see his point of view, but you come to so many dead ends when you research your family, and if they're poor like mine, then there's no information. Even if you find something awful... At least you've found something. Families, eh? Poof. 
We asked Caitlin more questions after the mid-roll. In a maverick move, <laughs> we've just been hustled out of the Islington Museum because they're closing up. So we're now outside it, just on the street. I feel like I'm box popping you now, David. <laughs> yeah, I'm intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be very hard for anyone to intimidate you. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I just give a good facade. It's very good. When you were writing about Holloway, did it make you look back on your experiences of nearly being jailed? Yeah, it did, because, you know, I mean, obviously the, you, you can't compare someone going to prison and someone going, oh, I nearly went to prison. You know, it's like someone's had a car crash and someone goes, oh, I know, I nearly had a yeah. car crash. You know, yeah. it's completely different. But, but it teaches you, yeah, how quickly you can fall foul of the law, how you're treated. I mean, I was definitely on, on trial as a woman, absolutely. And I remember at one point the police saying to me, uh, you know, you, you need to cry you need to cry, you need to sort of show emotion because then they'll, they'll know that you're innocent. And, and what I'd been charged with, I hadn't done anyway. So it was just, you know, it's the playing the role. Are, are you going to play the role? And, yeah, it made me... And, and I've, you know, I've known people who have either ended up in Holloway or nearly ended up in Holloway. And it's been for, for petty things. And one thing that did, that did surprise me when I was writing the book is that a lot of people, like within penal reform that I spoke to, Howard Lee for penal reform... That, you know, I say, well, what, what would you, if, if you're going to get rid of prisons, what, what, what do you do? Would you have something in their place? What, what do you do? And they said, you know, if, if you were to lock up all the women in the UK who pose a threat, you would lock up maybe 12 women. You think, Jesus Christ. Wow. 500 in Holloway at the time of its closure, and you're saying 12 women in the whole of the UK actually be, need to be locked up in order to protect other people. That is shocking. That is shocking. What was the sort of overwhelming feeling you had for those women having done all that research? I think a fury, I suppose. Yeah. You know, um, I think, uh, and and just, just you just, it's so sad and it's so depressing, and and the fact that we've known this for so long that the arguments that were in the 1930s, people, including women MPs, and including. Um, you know, prison governors um, and ex-prisoners, etc., and campaigners were saying, "Blow up Holloway, but you know, burn it to the ground, start again. We don't need these massive prisons for ruin, etc." In the 1970s, when they built the new sort of hospital prison, you had campaigners saying, "Now is the time for a rethink. You know, why we're we building another big prison?" Here we are in 2018. And when they closed Holloway down a couple of years ago, the, the, you know, the, the government is hell-bent on uh, a prison-building revolution. So it's just, you know, it's the same thing. It yeah. just goes in cycles. We've learned absolutely nothing. No, and when I think about, you know, the amount of women that, uh, that are in prison, that actually what they need is mental health sort of help, or what they need is help with an addiction. If you remove all of those people from the system... I mean, I don't even know who's in prison after that. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you got, if you got... And that's why there should be... I mean, work, the campaigners are fighting to have a, a women's building on the site of Holloway, and that would be a permanent place, and that would offer the sort of health and support that would prevent a lot of women ending up in prison in the first yeah. place, whether it's drugs or whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, 40% of women in prison have suffered, survived domestic violence. You know, if you, yeah, if you took all of those... What are those women out of the equation? Who's 
who's left in there? Them twelve, the yeah. naughty twelve, and, uh, and, bad, al- and also, <laughs> yeah, and also when you look at it, it's it's interesting that you know every time you have a very visible militant women's rights movement, whether it's the suffragettes in the early 1900s or Freedom Common in the 80s, the population of women in prison really rises. That can't be a a coincidence. I can't prove it. I mean, I can just look at the statistics yeah. and go, hmm, interesting. A lot of women getting locked up at the moment. Oh, women with your opinions. What yeah. are we going to do with you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Silence you by sending you to prison. Did you did you discover any ways that we could maybe help women prisoners? Is there anything that we can do to to help in any way? I, I, and this is, you know, I've done a, like a lot of talks and stuff like that, and that's what. Uh, women particularly young women are, are really riled up about you know what can we do what can we do one thing that can be done is the the brilliant organization of women in prison and they have a campaign at the moment 2020 to half the population of women in prison by 2020 so wow. that that's something concrete that, that you can do because otherwise you just feel helpless you know what 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 can i do okay i'm lucky i can write a book about it you know, so women in prison uh, joining a campaign like that, joining the group Reclaim Holloway, that are looking at what to do with the site of Holloway Prison. But other than that, um, a complete change in the structure of society would would help. We're working on it, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, can I just clarify? You're writing a non-fiction book about a woman's break from prison. No, I'm writing um, a novel. I'm going to write a non-fiction book about a history of the top female criminals that we've never heard of like imposters, jewel thieves, bank robbers from about 1600s up to the amazing <laughs> I mean up to the up to the present and then I'm I'm writing a novel because I do fiction and non-fiction I'm writing a novel um, which will be a great escape ah, using okay. quite a lot of information that I, I didn't use in the Holloway in the Bagwell's book but I've also got a novel coming out in a couple of weeks called Daisy Bell Swimming Champion of the World so that's a completely that's an uplifting story and it's based on the true story of a teenage girl in the 1870s called Agnes Beckwith. And she became the champion swimmer of the world. She was incredibly famous. And she was the one that really was a role model for women to be able to get out there and swim and compete. Uh, in the wow. Public. And today we've, we've never heard of her. You know, even women who have like followed in her footsteps and done incredible swims down the Thames or across New York Harbour have no idea that she was doing this in the 1870s and 1880s. So that's a really uplifting story about a woman who really fought her way to the top of her profession as champion, lady swimmer of the world. Amazing. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you're wondering what's next for Holloway Prison, mosey on over to Reclaim Holloway at reclaimholloway.strikingly.com. That's strikingly, S-T-R-I-K-I-N-G-L-Y, where you'll find details of petitions you can put your name to and marches you can get your feet involved in, and much more. You can also check out the hashtag Reclaim Holloway on Twitter. Something else which is a nice thing to do is to cut the message bit off of your old Christmas cards and send the front designs to Women in Prison, which is the organisation Caitlin mentions in our chat. As Caitlin points out, many of the women in prison are hours away from their kids and maintaining family contact is vital. In this scheme, old Christmas cards are used to design new ones and you can find out how to donate and how to help in many other ways by visiting womeninprison.org.uk. Thanks for listening and until the next time. Stay frosty.
standard issue for all women.